Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Malachi, chapter 1. It's the last book of the Old Testament. And uh, so if you find the Gospel, Matthew, New Testament, just go back one, you'll find it there. And uh, we're going to be in our series through the book of Malachi uh, here at the beginning of January, going into February. We'll do the book of Esther after that. And so you can kind of be preparing your hearts as we go through it. Um, and uh, one of the things that's that's great about the book of Malachi that I think is great even when you think about starting a new year and a vision for 2020. You see everybody talking about, you know, 2020 vision and a vision for 2020 and all the play on words that are out there from organizations and churches and all of that. Malachi is one of those books that I think is just really good because it, it's a book that kind of, it's God's last words to his people, the Israelites, in the Old Testament. It's kind of his last, hey, here, I, I'm sending my last prophet to you. Here's what he has to say. And then there's 400 years between Malachi and the coming of John the Baptist, almost 400 years. And so there's this, this time where God said, look, I, I've said enough. I, I've, I've said enough. The question is, are you going to trust me? And, and we kind of live in that now, where we have the Bible. It's been 2,000 years since any, roughly 2,000 years, since any new scripture has been written. And the question for us is the same. Is it enough? Is God enough? And the message that God had in Malachi is the same message that we see in the New Testament. It's the same message that Jesus gave. And that message is, look, I love and I don't change. I love and I don't change. And even God in the book of Malachi uses his name, which you can see on the screen, Yahweh Sabaoth which means the God who is existent, the great I am, the one that's always been there, who has armies at his command, but is patient, right? He could have sent right now with Malachi. He could have said, Malachi's my prophet. I'm giving you 24 hours after Malachi speaks. If you don't repent, then the armies are coming in. I'm gonna annihilate you and it's all over. God had every right to do that. He can do whatever he wants, but he doesn't. He goes quiet to see who will trust him, who will believe in him when it doesn't seem like there's anything fresh and new and exciting happening. There's no new scripture being written, right? It's kind of like, well, we're going to temple again. We're going to do some more sacrifices. We're going we're to tithe and give offerings, and we're going like, to obey the Old Testament law and believe God's going to save us someday. Okay, like, that's the heart of the people. And so God gives his last book as a reminder to them and says, look, you've got to remember, I love Everything I do as God, as we read in 1 John where it says God is love, everything I do is motivated by love and that is never going to change. The problem we have, which I said last week and we talked about this last week, is that we have the wrong definition of love. We don't have God's definition. We don't believe God's definition of what's loving and not loving. We want to go by our feelings, our emotions, what, what we want, not what God says is the most loving thing to do. And whenever you go down that road, it's a very dangerous road, and there's a God that has armies at his disposal that will eventually say, no more loving that way, because that's not the way love really should work. And we see that in our culture today. We see people constantly changing the definition of words, changing the definition of who God is, changing the definition of love when God says, look, it hasn't changed for me. It just has not, I've been the same from Genesis to Revelation, haven't changed. I've made it clear, and if you read it and you study it, you can know that. And that we have people running around saying that God's changed, he's doing something new, he's doing something different. No, he's not. He's doing the same thing he's always done. Now, he may be showing you some things that are different to you, but they're not different from his word. 
They're not different from how he says to love and, and what he says. And so we looked at that last week, and we looked at the people's hearts, because when he said, I love you, their response back was kind of arrogant. It was, how have you loved us? Like, you don't really love us. Otherwise, you'd do what we wanted you to do. So this week, here's the question. How have we despised your name? Because while they say, how have you loved us, and God then kind of tells them and gives them a story from the Old Testament, he tells them a story about his love, a story about who he is, then they keep going, and there's this question they ask where they look, and they say, how have we despised your name? Because, see, here's the issue. You and I and the people around us, we don't think we're that bad. Like, you probably didn't wake up this morning thinking, man, I so desperately need him today. Some of you might have. Most of us probably thought, woke up and thought, oh, I'm feeling pretty good. He's a good dad. I'm a good person. I'm kidding. You know, it's... Versus when God tells them this, that they're doing things that he despises, that aren't loving, that aren't caring, that aren't what he wants, their response back to him isn't, wow, man, yeah, we are despicable. We need you. We're so sorry. Just show us how we've not obeyed you. We want to, we love you. Like, it's, well, how have we? despised you. We haven't really despised your name. I'm not that bad of a, now they've despised your name. I mean, they're a really bad person, but me, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm good. And that's exactly the same thing you see today. So this book, when you read through it, is really no different than our culture today. It's no different than our hearts, because God doesn't change. So as we dive in, look at this. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks. Here's kind of the theme um, from Malachi. It says, it's an oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi, his prophet, God says, I've loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? And then in 3.6, God says, because I, Yahweh, have not changed, you descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. He's like, you've not loved me, you've despised me, he's going to say you've even defiled me, and I still let you exist. <laughs> I, I still let you live. I, I, I have not sent my armies on you when I have every right to send my armies to annihilate you for what you've done. And he, and he says this, and, and he says the reason that I've done this isn't because of you or me. It's not because we're a good person. It's not because of our works. He says, it's because I'm loving and I don't change. I keep my word. I keep my covenants. That's just who I am. It's not about you. It's about me. It's about me making sure that the whole world knows that I'm this kind of a God and that all the other gods are fake and this is the real one, me. So we jump in, and in verse 6, it says, A son honors his father. We looked at this last week in the end of the message. A servant his master. But God says, If I'm a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is your fear of me? It says Yahweh of hosts. Remember, that means the Lord who is, has the armies at his disposal to you priests who despise my name. And remember, we're going to look at this in the end of the message again today. You're a priest. If you know Christ, if you've embraced, if you've asked Jesus to save you, the God of the universe to save you through his son that he sent to die in your place when you deserve to die, when you embrace that, the Bible says that you become a priest. You are now of the priesthood of God. You are now one of his messengers to the world, a priest to the world to tell them about him. That's why we're not Catholic, is because we don't believe in a priesthood anymore. That's like one of the foundational elements of the Reformation, was, wow, this whole priesthood thing wasn't a good idea. <laughs> it got, it, no, we don't have a, we're a, and we'll see that in Scripture. And he says, you priests, so he's talking to all of us, he says, you've despised 
my name. And you go, well, I've I'm, I'm not despised your name. I mean, I may not give you credit sometimes. I, I may use your name in vain every once in a while, or at least do it in my head and not say it out loud. Like, I mean, but I've not really despised your name. But if we're really honest and we look deep down inside, I mean, how many times have you been upset with how God has done things? That you've told him off because things aren't working the way you think they should work, or like that you've despised what he's said about himself in Scripture and what he's revealed about himself. And he said, yet you ask, how have we despised your name? And again, instead of them repenting, when he says, you've despised my name, going, man, I, yeah, I have. I'm so sorry. Like, I don't, I don't want to despise your name. I want your name to be great. Help me to do that. Their response, just like ours, is to look back at him and say, oh, how have I despised your name? I'm not that bad. And God's like, then you don't know who I am and you don't know who you are. And I want you to know who you are. I want you to know that you're loved. That's why he starts the book out with I love you. And then he also wants you to know how wretched you are if you don't trust his love <laughs> and how wretched you'll be to other people. He goes on he says, how have we despised your name? And God answers them. He says, by presenting defiled food on my altar. This doesn't seem like that big of a deal. It's just food, right? Like he doesn't say, you are sleeping around with people. He doesn't say, well, you murdered your neighbor and buried his body in the backyard and didn't tell anybody. Like he doesn't say, like you have hatred. He doesn't, he talks about food. Like seriously, like you've despised me. How have we despised you? you defiled food. What? It's not that big a deal. It's just, it's just food. It's just, it's not that big, like... That, that's your reason I've despised you? But see, if you understand the Old Testament, if you understand the Old Testament law, the reason those dietary laws were in place were to protect God's people. You can look back and see the diseases that come from animals that they were told not to eat. When we did our series through the book of Leviticus, we covered this. We talked about the diseases that come from rabbits, that come from, from uh, pigs, that, that, that there's problems if you don't cook the blood out. I mean, you, there's labels when you go to restaurants that if you get a certain steak and you want it this way, there's a little warning that says, note that this could make you sick. God's like, yeah, I just want to avoid that. Cook all the blood out, then you're safe. You know, it's well done, it's good. There's like... Like these laws weren't pointless. These laws were because he loved them. He wanted them to eat the right things, to protect themselves, to not pass diseases down to the next generation. He also wanted them to say, will you trust me when there is an abundance of an animal that I've told you not to eat? Will you trust me to provide when it looks like there's no provision? See, God, God wasn't being mean. He was being loving. And then... They would bring the right animals, but they would bring it in the wrong way to his altar. So they would, they would bring the animals that he said were to be sacrificed, the lambs, the goats, the bulls, the doves. They would bring the grain and the wheat, and, and he had these moments for them to bring offerings. For us, we don't, we're not farmers, right? So we don't have grain and wheat and pigs and sheep and things to bring to God. We, we don't anymore. 
But what we do have is the resources that God's given us and, and what we do with those. And, and are they God's? And do we, do we credit everything we have to his name and ask him, God, this is yours. Your name is on it. How do you want me to use it? It's yours. Now, now how do you want me to use it? I don't want to make my own plan. I want your plan. It's, it's all yours. Now, but see, what they would do is they would say, well, I've got all this stuff, and I'm going to be good with God by giving him his part. Now, he's, now we're good, right? Like, we made a deal. You're good with me. You're going to bless me. I'm going to get what I want. Okay, good. Like, it wasn't about this is all God's. It was this is mine, and this is God's little part. And then what would happen from that heart, because it always happens. Are you ready? You begin to give God less and less and less because his name isn't connected to your life anymore. His name, as the Lord who commands armies but withholds his wrath, the God who is existent, who is Yahweh, who saves, that, that doesn't mean anything to you anymore. It's just kind of a business transaction so that you can have the life you want. That I'm going to go and I'm going to do my part and, and I'm going to take my little lamb over there, but it, you know, I'll just pick one out of the flock. It doesn't really matter. He, get, God will be happy with whatever I give him because he understands. God understands. He's an understanding God. He's a good guy. You can't really expect me to bring my best. I mean, it's, that's hard work, to, you know. And, and the best, you know, if I sell that best lamb, I mean, I'm going to use that for so many good things. Like, I'm going to serve my family and serve people, and so it would be better if I gave him a lesser lamb to prove to him. I'm going to, see, these are the arguments. If you're really honest, this is the kind of argument we have in our head every day with our time, our talent, our treasure, and the stories that we tell. These are the kind of things that, that go through our mind, and just like them, we never think to ourselves, am I despising him right now by the way I'm thinking? Or am I giving him full credit for who he is and what he's done? He goes on, he says this, you ask, they ask again, again. He says, you, you've presented, you've defiled my altar. And they don't stop and go, wow, you know what, you're right. I don't give you the best of my time. I don't even budget my time. I, I don't give you the best of my money. I don't, even, I don't even know what my money does. I don't even track it. Like, they don't even ask those questions. They go right back at him with another question to fire at him. Like, how dare you tell me uh, that we defile you? And they go, how have, how have we defiled you? When you say the Lord's table is contemptible. In other words, when you say that the Lord's table is like, it's pointless, it's worthless, it's, it's not a big deal. It's, you have contempt towards it. Like, uh, it's just so hard. Like, it's just so hard. All, this, all these rules and I have to follow. See, that, that's how relationships get destroyed. Is when, when someone in the relationship decides that like, yeah, all these things, that you, yeah, I'm not, I, just, I don't see any value in, you know, unloading the dishwasher like I just use stuff out of it put it in the sink and then you know it's just I don't see the value of putting them in the cabinet so I don't, really don't care what you think you do that a week and another week and a month and a month and a year and a year and pretty soon you got a war over the dishwasher in your home like like a war over dishes and this is what we do to ourselves because we stand in our pride instead of saying Wait a minute, why would, why would you want me to do that? And yet you look at me and you say, it's just so hard. He goes on, he says this. It's contemptible. How do I know that you're contemptible, the Lord says? Will you present a blind animal for sacrifice? Is it not wrong? 
And when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? When you bring, would you bring it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you or show you favor? Ask the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth. And now, ask for God's favor? Will he be gracious to us? Since this has come from your hands, will he show any of you favor? Asks Yahweh Sabaoth. Now this gets really messy. Because not only does he put it on the individual when you present, and he's talking plural, but he says you don't recognize how your unwillingness to give your best to God destroys the community and the people around you. You are causing contempt to grow in your midst. You're causing God's favor to not rest with the people around you because you're not calling out for God's best. It becomes like yeast, which the Bible uses as an example of sin. It becomes the yeast that, that, that permeates the whole dough. And he says, you think it's okay to give everybody your best all week long and then give your leftovers to God. And God's like, do that at your job and see how that works. Do that in your family. Do, do that in any other earthly relationship except the church and see what happens in a very short amount of time. It won't go well for you. And yet, God says, you wonder why you don't feel my favor. Listen, the favor of God does not necessarily mean earthly blessing. Let me repeat that. The favor of God does not necessarily mean earthly blessing. Jesus had God's full favor on the cross. Jesus had God's full favor his whole life. He didn't die with riches. Like, the favor of God is, is the knowing that I have everything I need in him and I'm not looking to get anything from anybody else because I recognize that his favor is all I need. And if I have that, if I'm, if I'm striving for that, then everything else will fall into place the way he wants. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I'm, I'm going to seek his favor with my time, my talent, my treasure, and the stories that I tell. I want people to see God's favor in my life. Now, does that sometimes mean earthly blessing? Absolutely. Absolutely it does. And, it, and God wants to show people what it looks like to follow him. So oftentimes, he will do miraculous things. He will bring blessings. He will bring healings just to say, I'm God. And so he looks and he says, would you bring it to your governor? You know, you'll treat this person this way, but would you treat someone this way that could do something to you that has power over you? See, it's always interesting because what we'll typically do is we'll treat people under us badly, but anyone over us we're careful with. Anyone that can cause suffering in our life that we can't get out of, we treat them differently than people that really can't cause us any suffering. And it was Jesus who said, he who wants to be first will be last. He will be last, will be first, right? He, he's the one that said, hey, look, be a servant of all. Because see, if I know I have God's favor, then I'm not looking to get anything from you. Because I have it all from God. That doesn't mean I'm not grateful that you give tithes and offerings and it supports my family. I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And 
I'm blessed by that. But that's not why I do this. But that's not why I'm in this. And that's exactly what he's laying out. And he said, you've despised my name because you're running around using my name on things that they shouldn't be used on. You're putting my name on blind animals, on blind sacrifices. You see this being done today. People are putting God's name on love that isn't love. They're putting God's name on actions that God says do not do them because you'll destroy yourself and the people around you. Don't do this. I mean, God's looking at him and saying, food, and they're looking at him saying, I don't think that's a big deal. And isn't that what we do? And then subtly, that not big deal becomes another big deal and another big deal. Listen, we're not obeying the law to try to get something from God. That's called legalism. That's called works. The reason that we love God's word and we love his laws and we're like, wow, that's really cool is because we know that he loves us. That's how he started out the book, because of what he did for us. Because he's a God that could destroy us and he has it. He's given us his son. He's given us his love. He's given us his, his favor. And I just want to say thank you. Like, I want to be sure that your name's glorified. I want to be sure that you're in the position. I want people to see your love. And he goes on, he says this, I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will accept no offering from your hands. I don't know about you, but that verse stings. I'm not trying to get you to doubt God's love or doubt God's favor or doubt that you know him. But I can't not give you the warning that God gives us in Malachi. He gives warnings over and over again, not to scare us, not to, to, to have us live in fear, but to have us check our hearts of why we do what we do. And he says, I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so you'd no longer kindle. Okay, when he says shut the temple doors, you have to remember their entire economic system is set up on the temple. They've just rebuilt the temple a few decades before. Nehemiah's just finished building the walls around Jerusalem for protection about a decade before Malachi prophesies. They, are, they finally have their land back, and God is looking at them saying, I just wish you'd just shut it all down. It's pointless. I, just, it's, I don't even know why you try. Like, you don't care about me. You don't, this isn't a love relationship anymore. It's a business deal. And when you don't get what you want and you don't feel what you want, you're out the door. And, and I'm, I, he looks, he goes, I, I just wish you'd just stop. Just admit you don't believe. Admit that, I, I, why am I bringing lame sacrifice? Just don't bring anything. Don't expect me to be good with like, aren't you happy? I gave you a little something. No, I'm not. God's like, I'm, I'm God. I want your best so that I can give my best. Like we give our best. And he says, I'm going to accept no offering from your hands. So if you were told this, what would be the proper response? Repentance. Oh, my goodness. The Lord isn't happy with me. Like, that's me. I, I, I just continue to do business deals with God. I think that I'm a good person. I can get, and I don't want to live like that anymore. I want to know that he loves me. I want to know that he doesn't change. That when he makes a covenant with a person because of what he has done on their behalf, like Abraham and Moses and Noah and the rest, when he makes that covenant, 
I can know with certainty that he loves me and that should motivate the rest of my life. Oh man, I want his, I want his hands open to my offering. I, I surrender. I, I'm so sorry, Lord. I, I, I repent. Help me, help me know how to repent. Help, help me to call other people to repent because you're just that awesome. You still love me even when you call me out like this. He goes on, he says, and this is what he says. He goes, and the reason that I would rather you shut the door is because you're not making my name great. You're actually making me look bad, really bad. And this is happening all over our world today. We have people running around telling people things about Jesus, promising things that Jesus never promised, and it is ruining cultures. It's destroying people's lives. You don't think so? Go to Ecuador where we have a partnership. And watch how the Catholic Church attacks Christians who come in to tell people about Jesus. Catholic churches that actually have idols, the idol of the earthquake in their building that they pray to next to the cross in Ecuador. And that church persecutes anybody that challenges the church because the church is the economic system of that town. They have to bring their offerings to the priest so that he'll pray the earthquake away and, and that Jesus will trump the earthquake God and win. And you bring your, and they don't teach the people to read because they don't want them to read their Bible because they don't want them to find out they're lying. They're defaming his name, and then you show up and say, that's not God, that's not who Jesus is. Here, let me give you a Bible in your language. Let me show you some passages that, that just, and they go, wow, that Jesus said that? My priests have never told me that. No, they haven't, because they're trying to get from you, not give themselves to you and give themselves over to God. He says, for my name will be great among the nations. From the rising of the sun to its setting, incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place because my name will be great among the nations, says Yahweh of hosts. I have armies at my command. People will worship me someday and the nations will bow. It's going to happen. The only reason it hasn't happened yet, what we read in chapter three is because I'm holding back. Because I love you. And I'm giving you a chance. I'm giving you a chance to really truly love me and see what I can do and how I can make my name great through you. And this is the beauty of it. He's saying, and this is kind of prophetic, he's saying, like Jesus did, you can shut the doors of the temple because you want to know what? That doesn't stop worship of me. <laughs> just because you go to temple, just because you make the, there are still going to be people that get up. You know what they're going to do? They're going to sacrifice the lamb. There's no temple, but they're going to do it. They're, they're going to get up. They're going to follow the rules. You know why they're going to follow the rules? Because they get up and they're just so happy that they're alive today. They're just so happy that God is real. They're like, God, there's no temple. There's no city. There's no land. I'm just grateful that you promised there will be someday and that you got armies. And you're awesome. So I just, here I am again today. He says, that's what's going to happen around the world. So you can shut the temple. And that's why Jesus said, the temple would be torn down 70 years after his death. He said, you're, you, the temple has not been rebuilt for almost 2,000 years. The Jewish people have been without a temple. Why? Because God has been making his name great around the world without them. Without them. 
Why? Paul says it's because he's trying to show them who he is. He's trying to show them the reason that I won't give you back a temple is because you'll start trusting it again. And maybe if I don't give you everything you want according to how you think the covenant should go down in the Old Testament, you'll cry out to me. And if you see how the Gentiles are being blessed, you'll pause and go, now what? Why is God working and and we're just persecuted? Maybe you'll cry out to me. And all through history, God is still fulfilling his covenant to Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, the whole nine yards by using the nations, as Malachi says, as a witness to them. That's what Paul says in the New Testament. He's raising up the nations to say, what more do I have to show you? I'm going to bring worshipers from all over to worship me. And you guys still won't worship me. You won't accept the Messiah who's come. And God's heart breaks. And then he goes on and he says, but you are profaning it when you say the Lord's table is defiled and its product, its food is contemptible. You also say, look, what a nuisance. Okay, that one stings. Out of all the ones I've been reading, this is the one for me that as I studied this passage stung so hard. I mean, it was like a knife. What a nuisance. Just so much work. This is so hard. Just so hard to have to serve you and love you. You just make this so difficult. And It was like, man, that can be me. That can be me in a, in a, in a second where I, I just turn on this little, like a, for a moment I turn and I'm like, oh, this is all such a nuisance. Your people are a nuisance. This work is a nuisance. I just, just go work construction <laughs> where I can build something with my hand and come home and sleep. <laughs> I don't have to worry about you people. Listen, Moses had that attitude. God still used him and loved him, so I'm grateful God still can use me and love me in the middle of my attitude. That doesn't justify my attitude. I'm just being real with you that there are moments when we look and we say, what a nuisance, and you scorn it, says the Lord of hosts. Now, here's the key. When you say it's a nuisance and then you bring stolen, lame, or sick animals, you bring this as an offering? Am I supposed to accept that from your hands? Praise the Lord that when I start to say things like it's a nuisance, that God reminds me, you still bring your best to me. And so I do. Okay, Lord, shouldn't have said that. It's not a nuisance. You've called me. You, this is what you want for all people. You, like, it's, okay. In other words, praise the Lord I haven't gotten to the place where I'm like, well, just take whatever. Hey, where's Matt this Sunday? Hey, he decided not to show up. He, was, he thought it was a nuisance to show up this Sunday, so he just slept in. He might be here next Sunday if, it doesn't, if it's not a nuisance. Like, praise God that, that I'm convicted to have to get up. And like when I come here and, and clean before in the morning and, I, and it's a nuisance often when I get here and it's a mess and, and I remind myself, no, I'm, I'm serving. And I don't just do the bare minimum. Like, That's good enough. It's like, no, I know that Monday when the staff come in who don't know Jesus, they know I cleaned it. And they connect that to FX Church and that gets connected to the God that I've told them about because I've shared my faith with all of them. And so I don't want to give God a bad name. I want to give him my best. So when they come in on Monday, I want to be sure the building's ready for them. So when they walk in, they're like, wow. Not because they want to think great of me. I get paid to do it. It's a job. Like, that's not the issue. The issue is I want them to see how great God is. It goes on and he says, 
The deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says Yahweh of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. You see, God's looking, and and it's not we're supposed to like live in legalism. Where it's like, oh, if I don't give my best to God, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, hold on. No, he says, and here's the key. You don't have to live in legalism and panic. You have to ask yourself, is this the best I have? Am I, am I really given the best I've got? And if it's the best you have, it's the best you have. Remember, when Joseph and Mary, we just finished the Christmas story, when Joseph and Mary went to dedicate Jesus at the temple, They couldn't sacrifice a lamb because they were poor. So they brought two doves. And the poor were allowed to sacrifice doves instead of a lamb. That means you went out and you caught the doves. You brought them in. They were wild. They were around. And you brought those doves because you were poor. You brought your best. And isn't it amazing that God did that because he didn't want them to sacrifice a lamb because Jesus was being placed on the altar to declare doves for now, lamb later. You just give me your best, Mary and Joseph, and it's two doves, it's two doves. It's okay. It's the best I've given you. It's the best you have. It's great. But you know what I'm gonna give you? The lamb of God, because I'm gonna give you my best in my son. See, that's God. That's the picture he's trying to get them to see. He's saying the problem we have is we deceive ourselves and we deceive others and we say, oh, I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to make a resolution. I'm going to do this. And he goes, but you don't really mean it. You don't really fear me. You don't don't structure your life any differently. You just like make it, yeah, we're going to do that. And then you don't change anything. Can we all be guilty of that? Absolutely. Absolutely. But he says, I want my name to be feared among the nations. And it has to start with my people. If my people don't fear me, then how are the nations going to fear me? How are they going to have any awe and respect of me if you don't have any awe and respect? It's like in my house, right? If my friends came to my house and recognized that you could get by with anything in my house and you could smoke dope and steal you know, alcohol out of the closet, mom and dad were fine with it, there was, there was no respect, then guess what? They would probably do that. Like they're going to rise to the level that is modeled in your home. But if you come into our house, like I did when I was growing up, and you recognize that there's a high level of like respect and politeness, like, then you rise to that. Like, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to do those things here. It's no different. We're supposed to model not because, here's the deal, not because I'm afraid my dad's going to spank me, like he's going to get me, but because I so love my dad, I so respect him that I just want to give him the respect and the honor and the, I'm just so glad he feeds me because I don't deserve to be fed because I'm kind of, I eat a lot. Like, you know, I mean, I'm just so glad I have a bed and, and it's actually a comfortable one. I don't have to sleep like on, on concrete. I'm just so glad, like, that's never our mentality in our culture. Our culture's like always saying, they're not good enough. He, he should give you more. They should do more. This, this, this. We're constantly, it's more, more. It's not, man, just be grateful. 
My dad turns 80 today. After service, we're driving as quickly as we can, hopefully not speeding too fast, and, and go and see, see my dad and celebrate his, his, 80th, his 80th birthday. My dad's been through the ringer in his life. He's buried a daughter. He just had to put his dog down last week that my sister gave him when she was dying of cancer her last year. She gave him this dog. My mom has never forgiven my sister. Someday in heaven, they'll have reconciliation. On this side of heaven, my mom is like that dumb dog. Like, she did that to me. Like, like it's, she spited my name. Like, like you know. I, I just think my sister was clueless, right? Like, I got Susan a cat when we were engaged and not thinking through the consequences of cats living long, right? Like, didn't think, they didn't think that through. Like, oh, we're going to have this thing for, oh, uh, a while, right? What was I thinking? Like, and so, so my dad turns 80, and this morning I got up and I read, I read the psalm. I've been reading through the psalms, and I read Psalm 92 this morning. And the psalm starts out, and it says, man, just rejoice in the morning. Like, rejoice in your God. Sing praises to him. And in the evening, recognize that, that he has your life. Like, just, and then it says, don't be stupid and don't be a fool. That's like in the middle of the thing. Like, don't be stupid, don't be a fool. And then it ends with this beautiful part where it says, and know that, that God will give fruit in your old age. He will continue to give fruit. He'll continue to, to use you. And I've watched my parents and I've watched my dad and how God has used him in the last 15 to 20 years of his life so much more for his kingdom than I ever saw growing up. My parents were great people. They served. But when my dad saw the change in me, when he saw what happened in my life, my dad became a changed person. And it wasn't just that. There were other circumstances like caring for his daughter, watching her pass away and holding her. And like his heart just became so soft for the things of God that he just wants to make God's name great. He runs a food pantry that feeds over 70 families and he's 80. Mom's 78 or 79. Like I'm like, Why? You should be on a cruise. You should be playing golf. Like you should know they're still living in the same town, in the same dilapidated house, like, like still serving everyone around them. Into the, and I'm like, how? And you'll ask my mom, like, how are you continuing to do this? She's like, God hasn't killed me yet. That's why. I, just, I get up and I still got stuff to do. Like people call me expecting me to do stuff. So I do it. Like, I don't, it's just, and that's partly true. The other part is my parents have ordered their life all the way through their life to make certain things a priority and they don't, don't, you don't mess with that. Making each other a priority, making church a priority and serving the church, making the community a priority and telling people, confronting their sin. My mom beat a drug dealer over the head with a broom and chased him down the street and the pastor saw it. She was beating him with a broom and the pastor came out, I was like, what are you doing, Sue? She's like, he's trying to hurt my son. He's not going to happen. And then she walked back home, finished sweeping the porch. Not kidding you. Like, I'm not, it's just amazing when I think about their life. And they weren't like trying to do something great. They're just, they just love the Lord. They just, they just want to make him known wherever they're at. And it just so happens they're in this little town. And I'm going to make him known here. And so I look at this verse and I'm like, I'm amazed that my parents made a vow and they've kept it. 
They, they, they made a vow to serve that town and they've kept it. They, they've continued to stay when everybody else has left. When all that's left in the town are the old and dying people. My mom literally had someone at her door a few weeks ago knocking on the door because next door, Frank, the neighbor, Frank, right? Neighbor next door is on hospice and his daughter comes over and knocks on my parents' door and says, I, I, think, I think dad's dead. Could you come check? Who does that? You call 911. You don't go next door to sue. I'm like, what? She did what? Yeah, she goes, I was in my robe. I didn't feel well. We had been to church. It was on a Sunday, and I came home, and I just put my robe on. I thought, I'm not going anywhere tonight. And then wouldn't you know, the door knocks. So then I had to go put my clothes on and go over to check and see if Frank's dead. My mom didn't even call 911. Like it didn't even think to her, like, it's not my responsibility to go check and see if a guy's dead. Like, yep, that's me. I just so go serve. I'm like, what? And so she does. She goes over. She goes, you have a stethoscope? Yeah, I do. Okay. She takes it out. She cleans it. She looks. and, Yep, he's dead. Okay, and she puts it down. She goes, oh, we're praying for you. Is there anything you need? You know, and then she goes back home. She says, you better call the coroner. Okay, what, what do I do? And she told her what to do. And so she did. I mean, can you imagine the conversation with the coroner? Like, can you imagine? I guarantee you, they've been in this town their whole lives. The family's, I guarantee you the call went something like this. Hey, I'm calling because Sue Shockney said that Frank's dead and you guys need to come get him. Not the coroner needs to come declare him dead. No, Sue's already done it. You just need to come take care of this. Like, I guarantee you that's how it went down. Why? Because my parents have lived their life that way. But here's the deal. If we're really honest, we don't want that life. At 79 years old, do I want somebody knocking on my door when I'm already in my bathrobe sitting down to read a book or watch TV to go check their dead hus- um, uh, father or husband? Nope. That's the, that's the doctor's job. That's a call the nurse. Call some. We don't want to live lives where we give our whole life, our best to people. We want to live kind of. It goes on, it says this in James. It says, therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and evil, humbly receive the implanted word. That's Jesus. Jesus is called the word of God. That's who he is. And when you receive him, you receive, he, he implants himself in you. You receive that humbly. You don't receive that pridefully. You don't go, I got Jesus. You go, oh, yeah, come, do your work. And you receive that word and he begins to speak to you and it's able to save you. Listen, it's not just able to save you eternally. It's able to keep you safe from some really bad stuff here which is what the Old Testament dietary laws were for for a time. We don't need those now because we have like biology. (laughs) We have germ theory that they didn't have back then. And here they go, and he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. And look what it says, deceiving yourself. Same thing as Malachi. It's so easy to get deceived. It's so easy to hear the Bible like this morning and and hear all this stuff and walk out the door and do the same thing you did and the same and the same. At some point, You've got to wake up and say, I'm being deceived. I've got, to, I've got to allow this to change me. And if I'm not, that's not their problem, their problem, or their problem. It's mine. And he goes on, he says, and this is what happened in the New Testament, a good example. So you might say, well, this was an Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God wanted them to bring their best. And, and you know, the, if you brought a vow and then you deceived them, then God wasn't happy with you. Look at the New Testament in Acts. Acts 5.1 says, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Happens all the time today. People sell pieces of property. They get income from it. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge. 
In other words, they worked out a plan together without talking to the church. Without talking to God about it, they, they worked out a plan together to make them look good, to, to, to work it so they could get what they wanted and God could get some too. That's exactly what Malachi's talking about. This is the beginning of the New Testament church right here. This is within the first year, maybe two years of the church right here. And it says, and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds from the field? Can you imagine going to, to church, right? You're putting an offering, or you're giving yourself, and literally the pastor looks at you and says, glad you're here. I'm just wondering why you've lied to the Holy Spirit and you're from Satan. That probably wouldn't sit well with you. That would probably be a little offensive, right? Like, I'm giving you an offering and you're telling me I'm filled with Satan and like, and you, like, what, say, excuse me? Fine, just give me my check back. I'll show you. It goes on and it says, Was, wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you've planned this thing in your heart? Listen, we do sins of, oh, we, we commit things all the time. We, we do things, we're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And then we repent, and we say, oh, I'm so sorry. And, and like, that happens. We're human. We're struggling in this world to honor God. But when you plot and plan to deceive, when you've worked a plan out, and now you're going to execute it against the, the church and against God, dude, that is a scary place to be. And he says, you have not lied to men, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. They didn't take his body, burn it, kick it out, cut him up in pieces, say, I take that, and that's what you should get. For No, there was compassion. There was brokenheartedness over this person who lied, and God took his life. They were broken over it, and they, they wrapped his body carefully, like Jesus' body was wrapped in, and they buried him carefully, out of love, out of compassion. But God is a God of great armies. And God in this circumstance is saying, this doesn't pass in the new church. Don't think I've changed. The same thing I said in Malachi about giving and sacrificing is the same thing in the New Testament. I haven't changed, and I'll prove it. He's dead. Now, we don't know if Ananias was saved or not. God may have killed him and brought him to heaven. I don't know. It's not our call. It is. And then it says the young men did that, and there was an interval of about three hours. Then his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. This is an opportunity for her to repent. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the field for this price? Peter gives her a chance to repent. He sits across the table, sits in the room, and he looks and he says, hey, I just, I just need some information. Was this the price the land was actually sold for? I just need to know. I need to know the truth. And she lies. And when she lies about it and says, yeah, that's the price, my husband, and sticks with the plot and sticks with the plan, she's struck dead as well. over a little discrepancy about money. 
You look at that and think, that seems really harsh. Look, God is serious, serious about his holiness and who he is and making his name great. And if you're going to play with his name, be very careful. I remember Susan's, one of Susan's pastors growing up, we were in her church when we were coming on staff uh, with Campus Crusade with crew. And uh, we were in her church for about a year. And I'll never forget him telling me, he's, he said once, he said, uh, Matt, I don't believe that, that people can lose their salvation, but I do believe that God will take them out so they don't mess with his glory. He said, you can see that through scripture where he does that. And if we're really good priests, we're gonna warn people of that because we love them. Not because we hate them, because we're mean. We're just like, hey, I'm, I'm warning you, don't, don't do this. Don't, like, again, not legalism, not you better. And if you don't, then I'm gonna get you. Just don't, like, just, just cry out to God. Like, we, we'll walk with you through this. We'll struggle with you. Let's, let's do this together. It goes on and it says in Romans, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, not being afraid of God, not, oh, I'm so scared, but because you recognize how, God, how merciful God is, he says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual worship. In other words, try not to have any blemishes on your body, on your life, on who you are. Like, like come before God and turn it over to him and say, clean me, make me whole, help me. That, that's what God wants. It's a relationship. And he says, I want you to present your body holy and pleasing. Don't be conformed to this age. In other words, don't do what everybody else is doing. Don't do what the world's doing, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in the word so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Listen, there are tons of people running around saying they know God's will, and here's God's will, and this is God's will. We need to know our Bible so we know when someone's deceiving us, because we just read about deception. There are people that are trying to get us to despise his name, and we don't even know it. And we don't understand it. And God is saying, look, I don't want you to be conformed. I want you to be transformed as you renew your mind on my word. It was so refreshing for me to read Psalm 92 this morning, knowing that I'm going to go to my dad's, and it was like one of those moments where I read the psalm, and I'm like, wow, this is my, thank you. Thank you that you knew that I was going to read this today. Thank you that I got the opportunity to just praise you today for my parent. Like, thank you. Like, had I not gotten up early and done that, I would have missed that. Now, does that mean God doesn't love me? He doesn't care about me? No, I just would have missed an opportunity to really be in the center of God's will, praising him and having joy and excited about the day. I would have missed it. He goes on and it says this, for by the grace given to me, Paul says, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. In other words, don't say, well, I present perfect sacrifices. I, I do it the right, no, 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 no. Don't think too highly of yourself. Instead, think sensibly. See, sensibly says, no, I did give my best. I'm okay with that. In other words, sensibly is thinking through things. It's looking into the word of God. It's, it's, it's asking God questions. That's how you, you try to have sense, make sense of the circumstances. And he says, as God distributed a measure of faith to each one. In other words, it's, it's about talking to him and hearing from him. And then he says, now as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ. That's the Messiah. And individually members of one another. Remember, he said, you're bringing curses 
in Malachi on one another because of what you're doing. And in Romans, Paul says, if you'll give the sacrifice of yourself, if you'll lay down your life for the body of Christ, the bride, the church, if if you'll just humbly walk, I promise you that I will use you and I will make you, I'll have you impact other people in the body of Christ. But see, the problem is, so often we want to be used by God, but we don't want to do the first part, right? I want to be used in the body. I want to, I want to use my gifts and my abilities, and I'll show you. And then we look at people and go, well, I'm not sure you're really surrendered in your heart. I'm concerned about giving you that position. I want you to be like, well, you just don't want me to be used. No, I don't want to use you. I, I want you to be right before God, but that doesn't mean you got to be perfect. I just... There's some issues here that I think we need to deal with, and if you're willing to admit them and deal with them, then, man, we'll, we'll work with you. Let's, let's walk through that. And, isn't, and it's so amazing to me that when you have that conversation, most people are immediately out the door. Like, nope, I'm going to go find some place where I can do what I need to do when I want to do it. It's like, well, I, I just want to help you be a living sacrifice. Like, like I've seen in my parents, like, I've seen in scripture, like I'm trying to be. As we wrap up, it says this, therefore, God says, because of these things, you've just defiled and despised everything else. He says, this decree, therefore, this decree is for you priests. That's anybody in this room who believes that Jesus is the son of God because he says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what God tells us. That's what he said in Malachi. Make the nations known. That's the goal. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity. We don't need priesthoods anymore. We're all priests. Christ Jesus himself is the ultimate priest, himself a human who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. We go directly to Jesus with our prayers. We don't have to pass him through a priest because we've been made a priest. That's what he's saying. And so he says, this decree is for you and me. This is what he says. If you don't listen and you don't take to heart to honor my name, says Yahweh of hosts, I'll send a curse among you and I'll curse your blessings. In fact, I've already begun to curse them because you're not taking it to heart. He's like, I just want your heart. I'm not satisfied with your works. I want your heart. I want all of you, mess and all. I want it all. And I will clean you up. I will make you holy. I will make you unspotted. You can't do it. You just give me your best, and your best is your will. It's saying, God, my will is yours. And when you do that, he says, I want to bless. I want to bring into your life love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Those aren't things you can buy. Those aren't things you can measure. Those aren't earthly things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are, those are things that only God can give you. There's no other way to get them. But our world chases them. And he says, look, I'll even curse your blessings. You want to know why? Because I love you that much. I love you enough to show you don't depend on that. It's going to not go well for you. Don't make that an idol. This is how Jesus said it. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Well, what's the will of the Father in heaven? That we surrender our lives. (laughs) That we bring our messy life, the best we've got, 
with all the warts and sin and mess. We say, this is all I got. I'm not going to try to make some deal with something else I have. I, I, I give you me, all of it. And he says, when you do that and you do what the Father's will is, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. There are going to be people who use God's name, who come to heaven, and they're going to say, I did all this for you. And he's going to look at them and say, I don't even know you. And then they're going to be the ones that come, like we talked about in Romans, humbly. And they're going to come before God and they're going to say, I, I know you. I know I don't measure up. I know I'm not perfect and spotless unless you do it. And, and so I surrender to you. And God says to them, enter your rest. Enter your rest. The question for us this morning is, are you despising his name? Do you despise, do you, do you defile it? If you are, hear me out. God, God wants you to surrender to him. He wants you to just say, here's the best I have. It's me, all the mess. And then he wants you to be a part of a body that helps you walk through that and helps you become someone who can be used for the nations. And if the nation's just a little town of windfall in Tipton County, Indiana, Trust that God can use that for the nation. Trust that God has sent out people from my parents, this one included, all around the world. We're having a new hospital built in this town because my brother was raised up by my parents to care for people. He's leading, building a new hospital in this town because he wants to care for people. Those aren't small things. God will use you and your gift and, and what he wants. And he says, I, I don't want you to depart from me. I want you with me. But there are going to be some who come and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, like they really love my name, but in reality they didn't. Can I just tell you, just surrender to him. Surrender to his body. Say, you are Lord, you're Messiah, you are Yahweh, you're in charge. You, you have all the armies, you've held them back on my behalf so that I could repent in this moment, and I am so grateful, and I can't wait to get to know you better. I can't wait to walk with you. I can't wait to make you known to the people around me. I, and I know it's going to be tough because it was tough for you, it was tough for God's people, and I'm ready for it. Let's do this. See, that's the message of Malachi. It's I want to make his name great. I don't want to do things that despise it. And when we get that, God does some beautiful things. And isn't it interesting in Scripture that when people always recognize their need to surrender to God and his name, isn't it interesting whenever they did that, he normally gave them a new name? He gave them a new name in the Old Testament to remember their experience. That you're no longer this, you're now this. Can I just tell you, it's the same when we come to know him. He wants us to know that you have a new name with him in heaven. That you are, you are counted with him, and your new name is that you're a son of God. You are a child of God. And you get the opportunity to love him and make his name great.